What I would like to begin with today is to take the key issue of Christ's eternal existence in the past and trace its development chronologically in Ellen White's writings. As I mentioned earlier, Ellen White's early statements in these key areas were neutral. The reason for this is that she was writing to a group of people with different ideas in this area, for they had come from many different Christian backgrounds. These issues were not considered present truth for that time. And most importantly, it was not appropriate for her as a prophet of God to make statements about things that had not been revealed to her. So what we're going to look at is to follow the way Ellen White's understanding of the significance of Jesus' statement before Abraham was, I am. How this, her understanding grew as more and more was revealed to her. In what seems to be her first use of the term I am, by the way I've collected in my book every place where Ellen White refers to God or Christ as the I am, they're all there in my book. Ellen White called God not only the I am but the great I am. This was in 1862. These signs and wonders were wrought through Moses to convince Pharaoh that the great I am sent him to command Pharaoh to let Israel go, that they might serve him. This expression, the great I am, became rather a favourite of hers. She used it a total of 55 times in her published writings. I'm not talking about copies, I'm talking about original unique statements. It was another 15 years before Ellen White first referred to Jesus' statement before Abraham was, I am. She said, Jesus with a lofty dignity that sent a thrill of conviction through their guilty souls answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. For a moment, silence fell upon all the people as the grand and awful import of these words dawned upon their minds. That statement was in 1872, 1877. Here Ella White does not discuss the meaning of the words I am, but merely comments that these words have a grand and awful import. She seems to be inviting her readers to study their significance from the scriptures. It was not until 13 years later, in 1890, that she again mentions the expression before Abraham was I am, but she still gave no clue as to the meaning of the words. He declared, before Abraham was, I am. The fury of the Jews knew no bounds, and they prepared to stone him. But the angels of God, unseen by men, hurried him out of their assembly. Less than two years later, things began to become very interesting. Ellen White referred to Jesus not only as the I Am, but as the Great I Am. 
All night long he, that is Jacob, had been wrestling with one whom he supposed was an enemy, but it was the great I Am, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And just as long as he continued his wrestling, he found no comfort, no hope. It was a life and death question with him, and his strength was almost exhausted. We know that this is Jesus she is referring to because she calls him the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Where does that come from? It's in Isaiah 9.6, where we've already looked today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So it was Jesus that she was calling the Great I Am. So in an indirect way, Ellen White was clearly showing that Jesus is the Great I Am. By this time she had already identified the Great I Am as the one who sent the plagues on Egypt, the one who sees all, the sustainer of all, the one who brings judgments, the source of being, the centre of authority and power, the one who dwelt in the Holy of Holies, the Almighty, the God of the heavens and the ruler of the universe, who alone is to be worshipped. Was Ellen White inferring that Jesus was all of these things? Three years later she begins to answer this question. In 1895, in a letter to her son Edson and his wife Emma, Ellen White wrote, Jesus teaches us that God is an ever-present I Am. Letter 92, 1895. One day later, she wrote another letter to Edson and Emma in which she enlarges on this idea and applies it to Jesus. You can almost catch the excitement as these things are being revealed to her. She wrote, I am means an eternal present, presence. The past present and future are alike with God. He sees the most remote events of past history and the far distant future with as clear a vision as we do those things which are transpiring daily. We know not what is before us and if we did it would not contribute to our eternal welfare. God gives us an opportunity to exercise faith and trust in the great I am. This wonderful truth was revealed by Christ during his mission on earth. Our Saviour says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Christ was using the great name of God that was given to Moses to express the idea of the eternal presence. The Pharisees were horrified at this declaration of Christ's 
before Abraham was, I am. They were beside themselves with rage that he should express such awful blasphemy, claiming to be the I am. The underlining in that is by Ellen White herself. Although the last portion of this letter referring to the great I am was published on the next day in Special Testimonies Series A, 1895, none of the above statements were included in it. Now W.W. W. Prescott arrives on the scene. And by the way, it's amazing the way the Lord led me to the knowledge of when Prescott gave his talk in uh, Avondale. I went down to the White Estate, as I had on other occasions, spent a fortnight there trying to find the date of, uh, of this event. And I had um, the uh, Ellen White Estate assistant there helping me and I had uh, Rosalie Power, the heritage lady, helping me. I couldn't find it. Went home discouraged because I hadn't found it. About a fortnight later, I received a letter. It was wrongly addressed to me. It should have been for someone else. But in that letter was the very clue I had been looking for as to when this event took place, when they held this Bible Institute. Amazing. God's doing, not mine. Six months after Ellen White wrote the above to Edson and Emma, Prescott came to Australia in August-September 1895 to assist with the establishment of Avondale College. He departed in May 1896, a stay of about nine months. During his stay, he conducted an institute for ministers and Bible workers at the newly built Avondale College. In fact, it had not yet been officially opened. This institute took place in April, May 1896, shortly before Prescott departed for South Africa. By that time, Ellen White was living in her own home she had had built for her in Kurumbong. Her secretary, Marion Davis, attended the institute, taking copious notes which she relayed back to Ellen White. She no doubt knew of Ellen White's recent statements concerning the significance of Jesus being the I Am. Now she was hearing the same thing preached from Scripture by Prescott, and she was very excited about it. Prescott was expounding on the I Am statements of Jesus to show the eternity of his existence in the past. H.C. Lacey, who was present at the time, wrote concerning Prescott, Professor Prescott was tremendously interested in presenting Christ as the great I am and in emphasising the eternity of his existence. Now, after Prescott had made his presentations on the eternity of Christ from the Bible, which were well received, Ellen White was much more definite and public in her statements about the eternity of Christ. It is amazing what a delicate balance has been struck in this situation, and the leading of the Lord is very evident. Sufficient had been written in private letters by Ellen White prior 
to the presentations of Prescott to avoid the charge of undue influence, while at the same time sufficient had been left unsaid publicly until after the biblical presentations of Prescott to make it evident that the Bible and the Bible only is the source of all our doctrines. Later in this presentation I will show that the same thing is true for the presentations of Lacey on the Holy Spirit. Now we will look at what Ellen White wrote after Prescott's biblical presentation. Firstly, Ellen White begins to emphasise the importance of the doctrine of Jesus as the I Am. It is part of the third angel's message, she says. The truth of the third angel's message has been proclaimed by some as a dry theory, but we must all place in that message Christ as the first and the last, the I am, the bright and morning star. The following year, Ellen White stated in Desire of Ages that it was actually Jesus who spoke to Moses at the burning bush. It was Christ who from the bush on Mount Horeb spoke to Moses saying, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This was the pledge of Israel's deliverance. So when he came in the likeness of men, he declared himself the I Am. Also in Desire of Ages we find Ellen White spelling out the significance of Jesus' statement before Abraham was I Am, as meaning the eternal presence and the self-existent one. These things Jesus was claiming for himself. With solemn dignity, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Silence fell upon the vast assembly. The name of God, given to Moses to express the idea of the eternal presence, had been claimed as his own by this Galilean rabbi. He had announced himself to be the self-existent one. Now, if Jesus was the one who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush, then Jesus must not only be equal with God, he must, in fact, be Jehovah. The following year, in Signs of the Times, Ellen White said just this. The incarnate I am is our abiding sacrifice. The I am is our redeemer, our substitute, our surety. The I am is our saviour we must acknowledge and receive this almighty Saviour. Jehovah is the name given to Christ. Behold, the Lord God is my salvation, writes the prophet Isaiah. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. In the above statement, not only did Ellen White call Jesus Jehovah, but she applied to him two of the only four passages in the King James Version where the word Jehovah may be found. Now in calling Jesus Jehovah, she was not saying that Jesus was the Father. He too was entitled to the name Jehovah. A year later, Ellen White identified Christ 
as Jehovah in the following way. To Moses, Jehovah declared, I am that I am. Christ declared, before Abraham was, I am. By this declaration he laid open the resources of his infinite nature, imparting in his words assurance of pardon for the guilty race. A few months later, Ellen White is still emphasising the significance of the expression, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Christ is the, the pre-existent, self-existent Son of God. The message he gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel was, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. If Jesus is self-existent, it means that he did not derive his existence from any other. This implies that he has always been in existence. Two years later, Ellen White herself draws this same conclusion. God has always been. He is the great I am. The psalmist declares, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Psalm 20 verse, 90 verse 2. He is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. I am the Lord, I change not, he declares. With him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8 He is infinite and omnipresent. No words of ours can describe his greatness and majesty. Since Jesus is also Jehovah, the great I am, the same yesterday, today and forever, which is what the Hebrew, uh, Hebrews passage is referring directly to Christ, uh, it must mean that he also has always been. She had expressed this thought very clearly in a statement made two years earlier. In speaking of his pre-existence, Christ carries the mind back through dateless ages. He assures us that there never was a time when he was not in close fellowship with the eternal God. Now I want to look at her thoughts regarding the Holy Spirit, how that developed over a period of time. We'll begin by noting that in 1893, Ellen White for the first time called the Holy Spirit Christ's representative. She said, wherever you go, carry on the good work of searching the scriptures and the Lord Jesus will always be at your right hand to help you. He is a merciful high priest pleading in your behalf. He will send his representative, the Holy Spirit, for he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So that's the first time Ellen White called the Holy Spirit Christ's representative. In the same year, Ellen White emphasised the distinct personality of the Holy Spirit saying, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. In Christ's name he personifies Christ, yet is a distinct personality. She had already made clear what she means by the Holy Spirit being the representative of Christ. This was in 1892. 
The work of the Holy Spirit is immeasurably great. It is from this source that power and efficiency come to the worker for God. And the Holy Spirit is the comforter as the personal presence of Christ to the soul. He who looks to Christ in simple childlike faith is made a partaker of the divine nature through the agency of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, Ellen White began to emphasise the deity of the Holy Spirit. She said, The Holy Spirit indicts all genuine prayer. I have learned to know that in all my intercessions the Spirit intercedes for me and for all saints, but his intercessions are according to the will of God, never contrary to his will. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, and the Spirit, being God, knoweth the mind of God. Therefore, in every prayer of ours for the sick or for other needs, the will of God is to be regarded. There, Ellen White says very clearly that the Holy Spirit is God. Thus the Holy Spirit, as a representative of the Divine Son, is able to supply his place, as she says in the next statement. The Lord invites human agents to become one with him in spirit and works. The Holy Spirit, Christ's representative, is to teach the soul. No truth essential for the enlightenment and salvation of man is to be left untaught. No act of mercy, compassion and benevolence is to be left unperformed. Every perfection of the divine nature is to come to man's assistance in the work of saving souls. To supply the place of his presence, he sent his representative, the Holy Spirit, to convince the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment to come. Two years later, Ellen White, in a letter addressed to my brethren in America referred to the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Godhead. Evil had been accumulating for centuries. It could only be restrained and resisted by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. Letter 8, February 6, 1896. Now this letter was not published until the following year, 1897. In the meantime, in April-May of 1896, the Bible Institute was held in Kurumbong, where Prescott and Lacey made their biblical presentations. Lacey's presentation was on the Holy Spirit. He said, The angle in which I was involved in the convention at Kurumbong was not the eternity of the Son, like Prescott had done, but the personality of the Holy Ghost. In fact, uh, Lacey had been studying that subject on his boat trip out from America and decided that is what he would present. Here again we find Ellen White wrote about the Holy Spirit, calling him the third person of the Godhead. Months before Lacey's presentation on the subject, but she did it in such a way that it was not known or published until after Lacey's biblical presentation. It was thus made clear that Ellen White was not influenced by Lacey's presentation and it was also demonstrated that all our doctrines are based on the Bible 
not on Elamite's writings. Subsequent to Lacey's biblical presentation on the Holy Spirit, Ellen White published in 1898 The Desire of Ages and what she had written in her letter. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent and without this the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of divine power. It is the spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's redeemer. It is by the spirit that the heart is made pure. Through the spirit the believer becomes a partaker of the divine nature and that's a whole subject I could share with you, a wonderful subject. With statements such as this, that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the such statements being made, it would not be surprising if questions were being asked. What sort of a person is he? So one year later, Alan White explained that he is as much a person as God the Father is. This is from manuscript 66, 1899. We have been brought together as a school. She's talking about Avondale. And we need, not, need to realise that the Holy Spirit, who is as much a person as God is a person, is walking through these grounds unseen by human eyes. That the Lord God is our helper, keeper and helper. He hears every word we utter and knows every thought of the mind. Also in that same year, the Holy Spirit is at last mentioned as taking part in the heavenly councils. It is the glory of the gospel that is founded upon the principle of restoring in the fallen race the divine image by a constant manifestation of benevolence. This work began in the heavenly courts. There God decided to give human beings an unmistakable evidence of the love with which he regarded them. The Godhead was stirred with pity for the race and the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit gave themselves to the working out of the plan of redemption. In 1904, Ellen White called the Father, Son and Holy Spirit the Eternal Godhead, attributing eternal deity to each. The work of salvation is not a small matter, but so vast that the highest authorities are taken hold of by the expressed faith of the human agency. The Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, the eternal Godhead, is involved in the action required to make assurance to the human agent. Finally, we have this unique and beautiful statement made in 1906. We saw this earlier in her own handwriting. There are three living persons of the heavenly trio. In the name of these three great powers, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, those who receive Christ by living faith are baptised and these powers will cooperate with the obedient subjects of heaven in their efforts to live the new life in Christ. Now, I would like to return to the theme that we started with, 
last night, the unity of God. In our presentation last night, we saw that in 1893, Ellen White made the amazing statement that Jesus and his Father were of one substance, the same statement used by other Trinitarian Christians to express the unity of God. It seemed that divinity flashed through humanity as Jesus said, I and my Father are one. The words of Christ were full of deep meaning as he put forth the claim that he and the Father were of one substance, possessing the same attributes. Can you see that there? Um, now we have seen that Ellen White also emphasised the fact that there were three members of the Godhead and we noticed in her handwriting the reference to the heavenly trio. However, in referring to three, she did not forget the unity of God. I want to share with you three statements that clearly illustrate this. Those who are baptised in the threefold name, singular, of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. That was in 1900. After we have formed a union with the great threefold power, singular, we shall regard our duty toward the members of God's family with a much more sacred awe than we have ever done before. In these two examples, Alan White refers to the threefold name and the threefold power, both singular, clearly emphasising the unity of the Godhead. In the final example, Alan White calls Father, Son and Holy Ghost three representatives of heavenly authority. When men and women, truly converted, are baptised in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Ghost, these three representatives of heavenly authority behold the scene and accept the vows made by human agents to walk henceforth in newness of life. There is one authority of which each is a representative. Amazing, isn't it? Let's bow our heads. Dear Father, we thank you for what has been revealed to us. We thank you that we have no need to be uh, apologetic for what Ellen White has wrote and written, but to uh, be rejoicing and so thankful for what has been revealed to us. And I uh, pray that you will bless us as we go forth from here to uh, share the message of Jesus as the I am, as the he is the one who is our substitute and surety, but it's as the I am that he is our wonderful saviour. Pray that you'll help us to ever be mindful of this and to have a part in finishing quickly the work of your gospel in this world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.